Hi, I'm Jennifer Wild, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. All right, welcome to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. And man, I'm psyched for this one today. I, I'm always excited, but I just get, you know, there's a special place in my heart for my artists, my my creative souls, so to speak. And most addicts, we all we all are creative. We're we're brilliant people. We are. That's why I guess we just have to like uh anesthetize ourselves because we're just too smart and too brilliant and too creative. Um, and without further ado, I want to bring you Pop Buchanan. Pop, welcome to Sober Exposure. We're so happy to have you. Thank you have you such so an amazing much. story. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored and I'm really excited to connect with another artist, another person that gets it. And it's always a good day to be in recovery. So thanks for having me. Yeah. And I mean, you, you do not, uh, you don't mess around when it comes to recovery. Um, you take it real serious. And I, I want to talk about some of the different things that you do and some of the different approaches. Um, I know you take a real holistic approach to recovery and we'll, we'll get all into that. I know also, I, I, I know you're a 12 step or two and you kind of incorporate a lot of different things, but tell, tell me a little bit where it all began. Tell us about uh, baby Papa. How did it start yeah. in New York? Yeah. Baby pop. Well, it started like anything else, you know, young kid, you know, I lost my dad when I was about 13 and I was just exposed to the neighborhood, started smoking weed at 14, 15. I think um, the weed really did a number on me. I kind of like really, really that first high from the weed just totally zoned me out. It was like a magical experience. I kept chasing but we never really was too problematic. Just in retrospect, I wish I didn't smoke so young because I felt like my life could have went many different ways. And we kind of restricts people. And I'm not I'm not a big I, I understand weed for harm reduction and it could be cool. And but for me, it's just annoying. I never really enjoyed it. But I think my story um, evolves around my dad and loss. You know, I love my dad. He was my best friend. My dad was a big, mighty figure in the um calypso world he he was raised in a steel band he was from saint kitts he was a popular tax accountant he was a brilliant genius popular in the neighborhood had multiple offices we just lived this very exciting life my dad was a very exciting man and he was a giant so when he passed away my life imploded totally crumbled i was crushed um and i was just a really normal really good kid we went to church my family's catholic um, I had a brother that was training in the seminary who later became a Catholic priest. I was an altar boy. Um, you know, music was always in my family, hence my dad being part of a steel band. My older cousin was already in hip hop. Um, he was one of the hip hop pioneers. And long story short, Baby Pop just lost his dad. was really sad. Um, fast forward from 13 to about 15 to 17, you know, I'm dealing with weed playing with beer here and there. And long story short, alcohol just never really, re um, it never really sat well with me. I always had problems with drinking from the moment I accidentally, or I guess intentionally picked up a drink at a family event, must've been about 16. I literally just totally lost it. I remember like totally getting drunk, embarrassing myself. And from that moment, it was a real indicator that maybe I should have a problem with alcohol and just the way my brain and body work, alcohol never really meshed well. And then I, w I started getting into hip hop. I was a musician. So, you know, being in the music industry, you're surround it's all about, you know, party, girls, bottles, just getting out there, smoking, that studio life. And I think I was extremely oh, exposed yeah. to it at a young age. And I just, I, again, I was in this environment, you know, bottles was always ex available. I was able to do whatever I wanted. I had this freedom and it was part of the persona. I'm pop. I was really animated, energetic type kid playing that artist role. It kind of fit the theme. So addiction kind of suited me in that world. But because I was allergic and because I had an allergy and because alcohol was something I should have never had drank, it would eventually create innumerable problems in my life. 
That's correct. And I, I say this all the time, too, um, because I've heard so many stories. And me, I grew up in, in radio and I grew up in the rock and roll world, which is very similar to the hip hop, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. And I've talked to so many musicians and so many artists. And there's a lot of other people that grew up in that world that don't turn out to be alcoholics and addicts if they don't have the predisposition, if they don't have that allergy, that spiritual modality that 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 comes with addiction. So when you talk about how you had all of that in your environment, if you didn't have that, do you believe that uh, you're born with it? That no matter what, even if you grew up um, in a library, that you would still become an alcoholic eventually? Yeah, it was. This is just the the bottom line. Here is either you're allergic to it or you're not. Either you have an issue with it or you don't. So, for example, my friends had the same exposure that I had. They didn't have the allergies, so they would be able to get up the next day and go about their business. They wouldn't re-drink or revisit it. Um, and it was progressive. the The addiction was chronic, and it became very progressive. Meaning, throughout the years, you know it became way more problematic. I became more chemically dependent. But here's the thing. It, it depends on triggers, right? Because um, I was kind of like just an animated, happy guy who would drink. You know, I had, it depends on what type of exposure. So for me, I had a partner. My partner was able to drink and he was able to party with me, but he didn't necessarily have the allergy. So after we left the studio, he was fine. But the point I was trying to make was that it got progressive throughout time. It got worse. And I think if you add triggers in, like some type of loss. So this is a mental health component to where your addiction could go from, let's just say, level five to level 100 really fast. And that's surrounding loss, grief, disappointment, some form of rejection, maybe trauma, any form of trauma, any type of loss or grief leads to trauma and that could amplify the addiction. So in my case, I think that's what started to happen when I started. Go ahead. No, oh, yeah, okay. I'm thinking the loss of your father, of course. So I'm, I'm bringing it to me. I'm thinking of me because the first time I picked up a drink, I drank alcoholically. Um, it, 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 I mean, it prog progressed to serious drugs. And I, I, I mean, I ended up a crackhead behind the, you know, dumpster smoking in some really sketchy places. But the first time I picked up and I didn't have any trauma, like a death of a parent, but my trauma was a little different. I guess you could say, I guess I was just drinking away just my anger of growing up the way I grew up, having to keep up with the Joneses. So I was just kind of relating. I was like, yeah, I guess I was drinking away my anger, you know? Right. And At it 16. goes, right. It goes both ways also. So when you're talking about the, there's a term called comorbid addiction. So it means you can have a dual diagnosis where the mental health components of depression, anxiety, or whatever the mental health aspect is could be fueling the addiction or the addiction can be fueling the mental health aspect. So it's kind of like this catch 22 where you're stuck. So and on one hand, you have it where you could have been not had no loss or anything, but the nature of the addiction could have been creating depressive symptoms, trauma, you know, the, the reality of your environment could have been pushing you to use more and falling deeper down the rabbit hole. In my case, the, um, the addiction was amplifying my depression and it was just feeding off of each other. So that's how that works. Um, but the point I was trying to make is when I got to about, I think my whole world really, really imploded once I got a little older and I experienced a really bad breakup in combination with another, a, a series of other events, like the real estate market crashed. I was out of college. I was like making all this money and then things just didn't start working out. And then from there, my relationship started getting jeopardized and just, it was a series of events. And I kept deep. My default was I'm doing this music. I'm living this real estate lifestyle. And it's all surrounded by drinking and partying, but I still had this allergy to alcohol. So the addiction kept growing. It kept becoming more chronic. And what kind and, of music were you doing at that time? Certainly not the kind uh, of music you're doing now. I was always doing hip hop. I was always doing hip hop. I was well, yeah, um, hip hop. But now your message is: Were you doing yeah. like the? Well, I had. I was always considered somewhat of a conscious artist, but I was just a little. I was younger, so I was a lot more street with it. Like it was a lot more like 
um, you know, shoot them up and whatever type, you know, get right, it. That's what I meant. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Right. I was less aware mm-hmm. of um, their power for authenticity and not following trends and just following your inner voice and making music for the art and the love and, you know, the consciousness part of it. When you're young, you're conscious, but you're not as conscious. You're not super conscious, so to say, as you'll be when you get older and you have a little bit of world experience and life kicks you in the butt. Right. But either way, I was always a good artist. I just wasn't always dedicated because the addiction will always pull me away from that. And I feel like I'm all over the place, but that's what the addiction felt like. It had me all over the place. So I just want to recap and reset the conversation for everyone. So go from 13 years old, my dad passes away. Um, I get exposed to weed just by being in the neighborhood around 14, um, around 14, 15. Around between 15 and 17, I start drinking and picking up the alcohol. I had these issues. It follows me through college. I had a lot of terrible experiences in college, but I had the benefit and beautiful pleasure of going to school because I have a beautiful family. I had a mentor, a sponsor, and it was just a lot of good stuff. My brother was a Catholic priest at the time, so my family had a lot of resources from the Catholic church, and then they helped sponsor me to go to a Catholic high school. And, you know, high school was cool. I was just still smoking weed mostly, not that much problems. The problems didn't really occur until I went to college. And that's when, you know, I'm on my own. I got exposed to this freedom and I just started drinking like a maniac. Totally got kicked out of school my first semester in which I started modeling. And um, I guess that was a blessing. I, I just went I had to go back home. I went to school, went away to school. Did, I partied, never went to class, nothing. The professors seen me one day. I tried to go to class after three weeks of school starting. Like, it's a joke. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm in class. And they was like, you don't go to school here no more. You need to get out and you need to go to the registrar office and figure out your life. So I'm like, okay. So I got to go mm-hmm. home and tell my mom, mom, I party too much. For some reason, they kicked me out. They're saying that I have to take a semester off in order to get back in. I may have to go to another school, take a class, blah, blah, blah. So I had nothing to do. My mother tells me, Joe, look out that window. That whole world is for you. I was an extremely good looking young kid. Right. Extremely. And um, and I was I was a model. So I went out there. I started modeling. I, and I, I, star, I, I scored a starring role in um, So So Deaf Eno Jay's video Time After Time, which was the remix of the Cindy Lauper song. I'm the kid in the video on the bike. Of course, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was me on a bike, and that that was me. So that was that semester. (laughs) I gotta go back and look at that. That was a big hit. I remember that. That was a big hit. Right, right, Papa. Yeah, Yeah. so I was, I was, I was, I was in the video, and then after that, I went to BMCC, which is downtown Manhattan. I took a course in um, African American Studies and an English course. I took two courses. I got a B in both. And that was that they allowed me to use those grades to get back into school the following September. Then I left modeling and decided to focus on college and just went straight through college. Um, but long story short, alcohol kept following me through college. And to fast forward there, because I'm trying to give you guys the CNN version of my story, my story. Fast forward there from <laughs> college. I get into real estate out of college. I graduate with a bachelor's in business, an associate's degree in management. So I, I was able to go. My family was already in real estate. I had to get for gab. I was good with sales and investments. So I went right into real estate. So I went from this no structure college lifestyle, kind of some structure because you have to go to class and stuff. But I went straight into living the real estate life. I made a lot of money fast, had my own brownstone in Brooklyn. I was only like, what, 24, 25. I graduated with two college degrees at 23. Um, and then I'm on my own and I just, you know, I'm drinking, partying, I'm doing, I'm young, I'm in Brooklyn, I have this brownstone and I'm living a life. Long story short, from there, every time something yeah. happened, I would default to drinking and a drinking increasingly just became extremely unmanageable. The meantime, I'm still trying to do music and all of that, but I'm getting a little older and the real estate, the law of the real estate of money was pulling me away from the art or the music um, and then the alcohol kept getting in the way. Um, and you know, long story short, and cause I, I just really was stuck and I had a, a real bad experience, um, around 27 
when I experienced a couple of losses and I just started using alcohol as like a form of self-medication and it just became totally chronic and I just couldn't stop drinking. And this was the point when it became, went from being playful to extremely, I, I felt the disease um, taking over. I had to get up every day and drink brandy. I couldn't live a function without it. I, it's trigger warning, trigger warning for anyone. Um, I had to drink beer. Like beer was water, brandy was dinner, um, cigarettes was just the the, the self medication, and that was my diet. I didn't eat. Every time I would drink, my body would not want food, and I just started becoming this guy who was just drinking twenty four hours, seven days a week. I'll get sick. I'll try to change for a couple of days, go right back in. This lasted for literally about two years until I hit extreme rock bottom. I got sick. My girlfriend, the people around me that I was partying with, that the band was disbanded. Um, this party house became totally like a flop house, damn near. Um, so what was so the so let me reset the analogy. I, I got out of college, I inherit this beautiful brownstone. Everything is fully furnished. I paid for everything. I had all this money. And then towards the end, it was just burnt, totally dilapidated, messed up, just like my life. So my building reflected my state of being. I was totally rock bottom. I wasn't doing music. I couldn't do real estate anymore. I lost all my business connections. And I just had, the only thing I had at the time was my girlfriend, who I'm still with today. Thank God she stuck with me. Um, and just, uh, you know, the hope, hope. And, you know, when I lost the brownstone, I was just walking through Brooklyn and I was homeless. I my girlfriend was sent to Massachusetts to be with her family because I was unmanageable. She had to figure out her stuff. They didn't want us together. And I was just walking through Brooklyn one day and I was just like, you know, just trying to sleep on my friend's couch, killing time. You know, my I had one friend who was nice enough to say you could crash here. My family didn't really know where I was. I got into too much issues with my family. I couldn't get help anywhere. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, I had some family members like my sister who was always there, but this happened around a time where it was like, we had a hurricane in New York. So I remember it was like the uh, Katrina, Katrina, um, that was big in New York, uh, hurricane Katrina. This is around that time. I remember Katrina. So yeah. it was a lot of family members who was displaced. So it was like, I had this addiction. I was roaming around just like in the wilderness and I got separated and I couldn't really communicate with everybody. I didn't have a phone and I just hit rock bottom. I had no place in anything. So I'm walking one day and it's the morning time. I'm trying to kill time. I'm in the middle of Brooklyn and I just started like literally breaking down every step I took. I was like, Oh, my whole, my body started shaking. I felt like I was going into shock. I was lost. I needed a cigarette. I needed a drink. I had no money. No, I had no more resources, no one to call, had no phone, had like my wallet on me with like one ID, which was like some state ID. It wasn't even like a, um, it was like a Medicaid ID. It wasn't even state ID. So I just totally <laughs> fell off. I, you know, this is the first time in my life where I lost everything. And I, I, I always, I can't, I come from a beautiful family, beautiful home, always had things work out my way. The thing about addiction you could open but so many doors until you have no more doors to open until you like, look, I've, I've yeah. pushed every button I could push. Everyone was done. Everyone was tired. And that was the blessing because it forced me to just really look at my life. And I come from a beautiful family. Like I said, Catholic family, we knew God, we, we was into prayer and faith and stuff. And I just got on my knees one day in the middle of the street, broke down and started crying. You know, I saw someone wow. throw a cigarette and I went I went for that cigarette when they hit the floor. I said, man, if you pick that damn cigarette up, man, like you're going to like because that was just for me. It was a cold winter day. It was dirty outside. It was like cigarette hit the floor. I was going for it. I broke down, started crying, asked God for help. And I just totally surrendered. Like in that moment, I said, God. And this is the thing. I always was spiritual. I always was conscious. I was pop. That was me. That never changed. I was always the person people would go to for spiritual help. I always knew all of the information. I was into everything from the Bible, to aliens, to scriptures, to the Tao, to meditation. I always was that kid. So I knew enough about faith. But 
I didn't realize how deep the rabbit hole went when it comes to the darkness. I was always focusing on the spiritual light. I never really had a real taste of what the demonic side looked like, the demons and hell and what hell on earth really could feel like for an individual. And when I got a taste of that, I literally shattered and broke down and said, it's no possible way I could live this life. This is a, there's no way this reality, I could, I could, I can't take one more step in this reality. So I realized in that moment, the addiction wasn't enough to drag me to hell. At some point I had a fail safe where I was just like, nah, I know God. So it's no way I'm going, I'm taking another step in this reality. I broke down, started crying. So for everybody else in the middle of the street, they're like, what's this kid sitting here? Yeah, 20, well, I'm what, 29, <laughs> like 29, I think like, yeah. 29 going on 30, something like that, somewhere around that range, right? About eight years ago, almost nine years ago. All right. So I'm sitting there and it's like, you know, what is this guy doing? And I'm like, just, you know, to them, I just must have been some guy crying and wailing in the middle of the street on his knees. But to me, I opened up my heart to the universe. I said, God, I need you. I need all your help. I need your love. I need all everything you have. I need everything, every angel, every ancestor. Every bit of Jesus, every bit of you, every bit of this mother, Matt, anything you got, every prayer, I threw it all in the, in the universe. And literally, I heard a voice, man. I literally, once the dust cleared, I just, I wiped off the tears and I heard a voice and said, you have to get on the train and go to the hospital. I got, I jumped the turnstile, went to 14th Street. I found a Catholic hospital that I was familiar with. I was asking everybody, is there a Catholic hospital somewhere around here? I know it is. It's 14th Street. I know it was. Um, and then I went there and I went. What into was the voice deep. like? What, did, what was, it was the voice literally, like? It was literally like through all the crying and the prayers, it just felt like a microphone turned on and it was a third party that said, you got to get up. And you're going to jump the turnstile and you're going to go to 14th Street. You have to go to the hospital. And I said, OK. So it wasn't like a voice that you knew. It wasn't like your father or nah, anything like that. Nah, nah, it was a straight up supernatural experience. It was as if like you see wow. how we're talking right now is as if your producer mic'd yeah. in and came in and started talking. Like it was another voice that injected wow. that was above everything. It was above my mind. It was just above and it just gave me instruction now Chills. here's the thing yeah and i said that was the revelation that's the miracle so when i heard that i said oh chills i'm like yeah i'm so i'm old because <laughs> i did a lot of work over the years yeah. i used to pray i used to meditate i did i wrote poems i wrote books on this i used to be i think the spiritual quest was was part of what fueled the addiction almost because i was always trying to find this higher reality but it wasn't through the alcohol. You can't. It was. It was. It was endogenous. I was able to actually do it without anything. I never needed anything, right? And my mother tried to warn me of that. She said, "The way you was made, you don't need to drink, so don't even try it." I didn't understand what she was saying. I. They called me pop because I had so much energy that it would have been abnormal to even offer me a drink. Someone would say, "Why are you gonna give that kid a drink? He's bad. He's flipping in the air. He's <laughs> running up and down the block. He's hanging from trees. And he's just, you know, I had all this energy. I was a martial artist. So you know, they they was like, "You're explosive. What are you gonna drink? And it's just gonna amplify you to the point of you're gonna just spiral out of control." And that's what used to happen. I used to burn out really fast. But long story short, when I heard that voice, it was just a total revelation that faith and God was real to me and that something was working. And I said from that day, I'm not wow. going to I'm not going to ignore that voice. And I kept listening. So I said, once I get up and if I jump, it said, you got you're going to have to jump the train. You got to get on the train. You're going to go to 14th Street. You're going to find a Catholic hospital and you're going to stay. And I stayed there. I went to the hospital. I did all of that. Now, here's the thing. Before they closed the hospital, I stayed there. I got there probably around 11, 12. I stayed all the way to like 6 or 7. They was closing down the detox unit. And there you go. Yeah. Yay. All right. All right. I'm back. So, so, so you were at the. Yeah, the nurse was like, you know, you might have. Okay, the, the insurance. Okay. Yeah. So long story short, I was like, uh, if you send me back out to the street, I'm going to die. And I just, I broke down again. I'm like, I, I, I was going into shock. I was like, I thought I was going to faint. I said, I cannot leave this place. There's no reality where I'm leaving here and going back in the street. And now I'm in Manhattan. What am I going to do in Manhattan all day? Right? It's already late. I have no money. I have no food. I'm going into shock. I feel sick. 
So the latest nurse is an angel. You know what? I'll tell you the truth. I cannot find or remember the nurse's name or the doctor's name or the play. Like, it's just like it was so long ago, so much paperwork. I, I think the hospital and that unit closed. But this lady's an angel. Wherever she's at, may God bless her. She said, you know, this is making me really angry. I'm going to make some phone calls. Because you a good kid. I was praying well at everything. I had the nurse. I was like, pray with me. We're going to do it. You got it. I need a miracle. Don't, don't let me go back out there. And she 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 called the director of the hospital down. And this guy gets off the elevator with a cowboy hat on. This old black guy with a cowboy hat. <laughs> he had all of his jewelry on. You could tell he was distinguished. This guy was super distinguished, man. He was important. You could tell, like, they don't call him down for anything. And she pointed to me yeah. and she, she ran to me and she said, she said, Joe, Joe, you know, because they didn't call me by my name is Joseph. She was like, Joe, listen, you can't waste this guy's time. He's going to talk to you. You got to be honest with him. So be, be, try your best. You got to convince him. So the guy came to me. He looked at me. He said, kid, you, what are you doing here? He said, you look so good. What are you doing here? What did, what did you do to get here? I said, I was I have I drink too much and I don't want to die. I feel like I'm gonna die and I want help. I just need help. If anybody helps me, I promise you I'll do the right thing. I'm just here, like. And he was like, he said, "Listen, if I help you, will you fly straight? Because I don't want you to waste my time, kid. If I help you, I'm gonna be giving you someone else's bed. This is a very important place. People really need the help. A lot of people tell me stories." If I help you, do you promise to fly straight? I looked at that man in his eyes. He looked at me in my eyes and I said, sir, if you give me a shot, I promise you I'll fly straight. And he wow. said, well, go get your gown, go to the third floor, welcome the detox. And that was day one of the Sober is Dope story. Oh, and the rest is history. God. The rest is history. Yeah. I'm just said That was December 15, 2012. So this year, December 15th, 2021, I'll make nine years sober. I never looked back. I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to detox, rehab, learn how to pray again, learn how to meditate, exercise. I did 12 steps. I did therapy. I dealt with my mental health. I did everything. I stayed in rehab for one year straight. I never looked back. I slept with inmates. I slept in a three-quarter house with inmates who was paroled to this drug program. I got into fights and scrapes. I had my fears and my worries. I met good friends, lost friends. I did all of this that year, but I de dedicated myself to becoming an expert in regards to my addiction and what alcoholism meant to me and how it was so damaging to me. So I never make the same mistakes again. And I took every avenue and every approach so I could make sure and I had a guarantee that I, I would never have to follow that path again um, with alcohol. Yeah. And that, that first year in recovery, I know, because I mean, you don't know much about my story, but I've had a lot of first years. I, I, my story is a lot different than yours. So, I mean, my hat is off to you, muzzle tough for one white chip. But that first year in recovery, when you talk about, because you did it the right way, you took all the suggestions and that's why you stayed sober. And that first year is so hard. And you're talking about all those things that you did that, that were so, so hard. And I mean, just sleeping with all those inmates and the other men, and, but some of them were the worst times in your life. But you have to admit, some of that was the best times of your life, you right, know, right. sitting back there, you know, with those guys and, and just like having some of the best laughs, belly laughs, because you're sober, you know, right? Right, right, right. right. That first year. You know what I'm talking that about? First you know, first I mean, people that are listening and they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's scary, but I mean, when I think back to that first year and that sober house with some of those women, I mean, like, I mean, and I, I listen, I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little princess. Okay. Like I don't like <laughs> to clean. I don't like to do any of that stuff, you know, whatever as a cultural thing. Okay. But yeah. like, I mean, I was, I was sweeping floors and I was like mopping and, you know, I was, I was like, what am I doing? What did my addiction take me to, you know? Right. But I look back now and it was like the, those humbling things and just sitting there in, in, in the back in this dingy halfway house with these other women and just like belly laughing, you know? <laughs> right. I remember the funny thing so, was, my, I love it. My funny thing was my, my first day in the three quarter house. So after, 
So I go to detox for five days, right? And then they sit you down with an exit interview and a counselor. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? So this is that moment where people play, they they could, they had the choice to either go all the way or just go back out into the world, right? And I did that many times. I went to detox three times before this time, no, twice before this um, uh, incident. But both times when they asked me, did I want to go to rehab? I left. I felt so good. Oh, I'm good. Five days without alcohol. I'm a brand new person. I got this. I'm a go cold turkey. I got this. Man, I'll relapse within a matter of a couple of months or maybe weeks, right? This time, it was like the God, the voice, everything, life or death. I said, nah. I, I sat with the counselor. He said, well, listen, I think the best thing for you to do an outpatient program, but because you're homeless right now, um, and I wanted that because I could have at that point went back on my family and said, hey, I went to detox. My family, of course, I come from a good family. I have multiple places I could have went. But they just wanted to see me sober. It would have been no question, but I knew that wasn't the answer. So I said, no, I want to go all the way in. And he was like, well, we could put you in this three-quarter house, and then you have to go to this drug program, and you have to be drug tested every day. So here's the thing. I hate football. At the time, I love football now. At the time, I hated sports. I hated football, and I hated Sunday night football. And for some, the, the day I left, it was a Sunday when I left detox and they sent me to the shelter. So I go into this room. I don't know what to expect. It's called a three-quarter house. It wasn't a shelter. It's night. It's like a nice apartment unit, but you have to you have bunk beds, like two bunk beds, four people yeah. per room. So I walk in and <laughs> it's this Jamaican kid on the top. Where may he his name is David. Rest in peace, David. David passed away and I love that kid. Aww. Then it was my it was my man Peter on the bottom and another guy. Um, what's his name? Andy. A- Andy. He was on the. So it's these. And they tough. I mean, the one guy was that stereotypical, strong kind of like mobster type. He had the tattoos, the slick hair. You could tell he's from like he was a gangster in like the 80s. He still combed his hair back. He talked <laughs> slow. Then the other Jamaican kid looked young and crazy. And then it was like this other dude. Who was like a, he had like a chip tooth and he was like working. They all look crazy. I look crazier because I had like a little gray beard because I I was born with gray like I had a gray hair condition from my dad, so I always had a little gray hair. But the addiction amplified it, so I look really young. But I had a gray hair and a gray beard, so I walk <laughs> in and. I look at these guys and they look at me and they go, oh boy. Cause you know how the new guy comes in the room and they already got their comfort zone. I look nuts. So they're like, oh my God. I'm like, oh my God. And guess what's on TV? The football game. So I sit down. <laughs> right. I sit down on the bench and I'm, I think to God, I'm like, you got a sense of humor. And I look at the football game and that was the, that was the day, the beginning day one of my rehab. I looked up at my bunk bed and then the guy, I asked him, I'm like, that's my bed. They was like, that's your bed. And I looked at them and I said, I'll see you guys tomorrow. I went to sleep. I climbed up on that bunk bed. That was the greatest night's sleep I ever, 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 Uh, ever had in my life. I'm talking about when I woke up that next day, I would, it was as if God restored me all the way back to when I was that altar boy at 12 years old before my dad died. It was like I went all the way back prior to the, and I just got up, started my day. I said, what do I have to do? They gave me an itinerary. I did everything with flying colors. I went to every meeting, went to every group, never looked back. Made, they was be, all became best friends of mine. I love them all. I wonder if some of them, I know one of them is still alive. Don't know about the other guy. And I know David passed away because he had uh-huh. a seizure. But long story short, they was playing football. It was poetic. And hey, I was happy, that like is. you said, and I'm glad I took that That's, step. You yeah. know, you were willing to go to any length at that point. Definitely. And I, my question is, I mean, you're so you are, you're just like, not many people have that, you know, spiritual thing that you have. I mean, a lot right. of people have to work at it. You're gifted that you just have it in you. Like right. your, your mother said, you don't have to use to amplify because you have it in you and and you really know how to you're just even before you used when you were a kid you've just always been in touch with your with your spirituality do you still hear that voice that voice that came to you that told you to go to the hospital does that voice come to you yeah 
Yeah, not as often. I mean, like I have dark times. It's not as like they're miking in. We had this term in um the the Catholic world called an elocution. It's like a prayer from the heart or like a, a voice from the heart, right? So I feel like in my heart center, yeah. I I I still I know when things are critical, and I I I immediately get like it feels like I'm downloading with the guidance. Like somehow, if it's there. I know what I need to do and I feel it. I see it in my dreams. So it happens on many levels. Um, I think I never been in a situation where I was that it was that chronic and I broke down and surrendered and opened up that way because that was pending death. So that's why I was so um, magical, the experience. It was so supernatural, the experience. But now I definitely I never I never jumped out of the connection with that i kept that connection strong i pray i let god yeah. know because look i'm not perfect i'm human i let god know exactly what's going on i talk to god right. god god will respond to you it depends on how you're if you're quiet enough to listen sometime it'll come in, it may not be a, a vivid voice sometime it may just be you might have a dream you might have a thought it might come from the heart you might feel a emotion you might it might come through a family member it might come through a dream of a family member so god speaks to us in many different ways but since then i have heard that voice on some occasions and um and it's something i don't take for granted and that's why i know i made one promise to god that i'm not gonna break just to honor the sanctity of that moment i'm never gonna drink again I may, I may not be perfect. Other, you know, I don't know what, like I have issues, like everyone is not perfect. There's other things in my life I'm working on, but that I'm certain I'm not going to ever break that bond because that's something that I think would be totally cataclysmic, man, for me, if I was to just disgrace the sanctity of that beautiful moment. So to answer yeah. your question, yes, I still hear the voice of God on multiple levels. Um, but I never rang the alarm again. But like maybe I, not I, in an amplified microphone. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He didn't check in on yeah. Zoom and be and, like, and I, I, <laughs> Right. And and to me, I, I, I look at it to those um, folks that have a problem. And I, I'm bringing this up just because everything, I'm self-centered. I'm an alcoholic. I'm self-centered. And I'm thinking of in terms of me and how to help myself because I struggle with it. Listen, I do. Um, I struggle with my constant connection with my higher power. And I'm really into crystals. I'm into energy. I love Reiki. I do meditate. I love it. But everything you're talking about, I get it through just, I guess, like intuition. You know, I don't get, I, I've, I, I would love to have God talk to me, believe me. Um, but I, I guess I get it more through just like, like you said, the silence and then just things coming to me. But then I second guess it. And what I do pop is I'll say to myself, like, no, that wasn't God. That was just my, that was just my brain. That wasn't God. You know, Right. I like, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's like, no, Jen, it, that was God. That was, the, that yeah. was God. Right. You have and, to trust. You have to trust. Um, it's not going to like, I yeah. give, all right. I, I didn't share this with anyone, but I'll tell you this. This happened the other day. I was thinking the same thing you were thinking. It was a couple of things in life that wasn't lining up. And I just, after the pandemic, lost a lot of people. I was like, I, I, I felt detached. I felt lost. And I went to the park and I said, I have this beautiful park by me. And I sat out. It was a beautiful night. I could see all the stars. Now, I had multiple supernatural experiences in my life. But I sat there and I said, God, look, I need a sign. I need a sign. I just want to make sure I didn't lose connection with you. And I just need a sign that things are going to be all right. And that I'm, I was really serious. And I stayed out there and I was praying. It was dark. It was like three in the morning. And I just couldn't sleep. I had this weird allergy that I developed where... I'm allergic to perfumes and scents, so I was just going through this, and I was scared to even stay in my house because everything I was allergic to. So I was outside. I like being outside. And I was, like, praying to God. I asked him for a sign. And I'm just sitting there. I'm praying. I'm walking back and forth, and then I'm looking at the stars, and I'm talking to the stars. And then, like, a shooting star came down and across and went towards where yeah. my house was. And I was like, oh! And it was just crazy because <laughs> it was like, again, something, it was as if, like, I don't I don't know, but it was just like I, I knew. I didn't doubt it. I just was like, I'm awake. 
because I asked, I'm going to wait. It could have been anything. Hmm. It could have been a square. It just hmm. so happened it was monumental like that. It wasn't a normal shooting star. I mean, this thing was big. It came down like, pew. Like, I was like, what the hell <laughs> yeah, was that? that was no normal shooting star. That thing was crazy. Yeah. I, I was wow. like, what's that? Yeah. Oh. And then, yeah, thank and, you for sharing then, that story. Yeah. Yeah. And the re- so what I'm saying to you is, it could happen in any way, so just trust yourself. It could come through a poem. It could come through a phone call. It could come through a text message. It could come through a prayer. It could come through sign, whatever. Just you know, just be open to any sign. Yeah, it just it just goes back to that old saying: "Ask and you shall receive." Right. You know, right. and like you say, don't no, second guess yourself. I mean, I I have. I have everything down to like, I use, I love my tuning for, oh, like, I, just, I just use these for the energy. Just, they good. That's good. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. You should see in my bedroom. I have Tibetan singing bowls. I have, Oh man. you know, you don't spirituality. Everything you need is right in here. But I mean, I, I, I need a little, I need a little extra help. You know, I, so I, so I'll open you my know. third eye. I have the same things. Like I have, like if you go to the Sobers Dope YouTube, we have the Tibetan singing bowls. We have, we do the Savagio meditations, the tones. We do the mindfulness meditations. I'm into gems. I have gem. I could bring out my. I have a bunch of gemstones and crystals. I wear. I wear them. I all of these things. See, this is the thing about spirituality. I because I come from a, a strict Catholic background. I studied everything, and I never closed myself off to any form of faith. I had to learn throughout the years, like. How to use some things is important to realign your energies. Some things are important to realign in your spirit. Then some things are for mental and mind practices. Some things is to realign your chakra systems and your light energy. All of this stuff is valid. I just think that it's about your intention on how you're using it and your heart, right? If you use it for good and you're using it to better yourself and you're not using it for divination or to seek gain or financial or anything that's dark like that, then it's nothing really wrong with it. You know, I, I, I go, I got some hardcore Christian family members who's like, that's satanic. You shouldn't be using crystals and all that. But I'm like, it came from the that's earth. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. It came. So I, I just have my own unique spiritual experience. And, um, I don't really get caught up in dogma and what people say. I always been like that. So I always, I was meditating before I even knew what it was. I was, I was always in because the Kung Fu and the karate, I think, is what amplified my spirituality. You know, that always all of that had me in that whole mind frame. I always was into the Eastern arts and the meditation and stuff like that. But don't rule like don't rule out anything. You never know where your blessing is going to come from. You never know where the next lesson is going to lesson is going to come from. And you never know where the next teacher is going to present itself. Right. Um, there's many masters around us that could just present themselves and you might close yourself off by being rigid when you miss the blessing. Right. Um, if I didn't go through the Eastern mm-hmm. arts, I don't think I would have had the knowledge to get on my knees and totally surrender. I think it was a culmination of all of the spiritual disciplines that made me know that I could activate this higher seat of consciousness and, con- and contact God. I had to contact. I needed help. I had to call God up and say, I need, this is it. But I couldn't ask God. I couldn't say to God, you're going to do this. I had to surrender and say, I'm done. I can't do anything on my own because I suck. Apparently at this, bad. (laughs) And I I suck so bad that I need help. As like almost as if the the analogy I use is as if I was captured, like someone, something evil kidnapped me and had me. And I had to call God to rescue me. Like, I need you to spiritually rescue me. I cannot. I'm captured. And that darkness, I never want to taste that again. That's something I would not wish. I have a newfound respect for homeless people. I have a newfound respect for the mental illness community, uh, the mental health community. I have a newfound respect for addicts in general. Because to the normal person, it's easy to pass judgment on the attic it's easy to pass judgment on the homeless oh why they homeless they don't want to go get a job why they ain't listen to their family you don't know what a person is battling you don't know what's going on in their spirit you don't know what type of torment and listen we're all one bad decision away from turning on a switch where mental illness could be a real reality for us you got people that wake up and depression is so chronic they can't even breathe right 
So I have mercy. And until you've been in the darkness, you don't know how deep the rabbit hole goes. So as humanity, I think we should all be more conscious of what we go through together. And I commend you on your journey because getting through what you had to go through is serious business, right? Because I mean, alcohol is a hell of a drug, mm. right? Yeah. But crack is too, and all of these other things are too. And yo, mm. I grew up in the crack epidemic in my neighborhood, and I seen people turn people, family mm. members that I not family member friends and neighbors that I knew transform overnight. It was just crazy back in the eighties. It was like you could be going to school. You know, your mm. friend's mother could be taking you to school, and the next day you see her running down the block looking like a like the like the Walking Dead, and you like what happened? And for us, we we seen our family and friends turn to like zombie like creatures overnight. So it was like a a, a dark horror movie because we didn't know what crack was. We just yeah. knew like what happened to Richie's mom. What what happened to this person? Did you see the guy? Yeah. He was running down the block with no shirt on and. He, you know, and this one got hit by a car, got up and kept running. It was crazy. So the exposure was deep, but I think we just brush it off. Like that's their problem. And it's just, it's our problem. It's humanity's problem. Yeah. And people love to judge it, you know, and it's my, uh, where 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 I grew up it was more about the opiates and I was kind of an exception to the rule the the drug that I liked but that's because I'm so ADD I liked cocaine like you would be you would be terrible on cocaine because people that are like us that are hyper and ADD we yeah. like the stimulants because it calms us down oh, stimulants okay. anyway that's how I want to talk about uh, the mons the, your your monk healing um, website that I love and then there was also there's a guy. Uh, Solomon Hassan that I found on your website talking about yeah. homeless guys. This guy had yeah. such a message. I freaking right. fell in love with him. I love Who him. Who is he's he? Like, I fell in love right. with him. I, I think so- it was... Solomon yeah, Hassan. Yeah, he was just like, he's, he's a guy that he was like, just like... He's the He best. was preaching yeah. a message that was like... Yeah, I mean, I just... Yeah. You guys yeah, you yeah. guys have to just... He, this guy was great. He's so yeah. opposite of any... Like, he's just the opposite of me, but he... He's, he's just super like, hardcore. He's a drill dude, sergeant that you need. He's the addiction drill sergeant. He's going to come. I am Suleiman Hassan. And one may say, what is Suleiman? He comes with that energy. And he's like a real, he's in the streets. He has a, he runs a nonprofit called Soldiers for Recovery out of um, Kensington, Philadelphia, um, where that's a big drug hub over there. It's like an epicenter over there. And he's out there administering Narcon um, to people and he feeds the homeless and he helps and he preaches and he's the real deal. We're all playing our part. Um, His approach is important because he could shock you into your reality. Like he comes with that energy. Like you're going to like that drill sergeant energy. And I love him. I had to get him on. I admire him deeply. He, he overcame his addiction was crazy. He had though he went on, he got injured and got on uh, opioids and then got, got stuck on heroin because it was more cost efficient. Um, and then that just was a recipe for yes. disaster. Yeah, and the and oxys. And oxys, which is, you know, we got to, the government, the pharmaceutical industry, they all have to do better. They, you know, should be a lot of reparations made for a lot of good people. I mean, there's people out there, you know, to this day that's dealing with pain management that's hooked that's hooked on harder drugs because they made these things outrageously addictive so um yeah that's my guy it's a tight community and um yeah he's part of the sober's dope family also and i'm proud to Listen, know yeah this there's a very special place in my heart for um just the homeless community like you talked about because i'm gonna tell you that's where i rolled I mean, I, I hung out in the hood with homeless people. That's who I used with. That's where, that's where I was. And, you know, so I just, that's who I relate to. I mean, it doesn't look like it when you see me, but I mean, anyway, um, I just loved what he did. I just did. I just loved it. He just really, he just, he just had my heart. So, um, what do you do now? How do you how do you maintain your sobriety? What do you do now? Do you still go to meetings? AA? You sponsor guys? Oh, um, I know um, you have your podcast. I want you to talk about your podcast, and then 
Yeah. So what I do now is um, to stay sober. Yeah. I just I remember the darkness. I don't play around. I sit there and I sit there and I do the moral inventory and I remind myself of because, listen, when you get a certain amount of time under your belt, you're going to be extremely empowered. Then you're going to start playing with the what if bullshit. Like maybe I can use a little bit or maybe I could do it differently this time. And it's all bullshit. You can't do anything besides stay sober because if you try to use you're going to implode yet again or most likely die. It's not a game. And I think people play too much with this. And for me, it's very simple. Do I want to live or do I want to die? Now, there's a lot of ways to have fun and unwind, but drugs and alcohol is just off the table. I can't. Right? Now, that's my reality. that That's how I stay sober before AA, before any of that other stuff. Remember the darkness. Don't play games. Stay stuck and rooted in reality. You can't play around. Now, yes, I do still utilize AA when needed. I don't need to go to AA every day. So I'm, I'm, my particular form of healing and recovery is so complete that I do not have to go to meetings every day to maintain my recovery. But that's because I took an extreme all-in approach and I dealt with the root cause of my mental health addiction and everything. That's not advice I'm giving to someone who doesn't have it under control. You may not be pop, so take your butt to meetings if you need meetings. I'm not giving no one an out. I went to meetings religiously for two years, three times a day before I even thought about, you know, being able to chill, right? So I have different modalities. I, I you know, I yeah. pray, I meditate, I exercise, and, uh, and I just, and, and, I, and I live a life of service. So the Sober is Dope podcast was my way of giving back. And I wanted to kind of bring the concept of the meeting to the world, the sharing aspect of the meeting. So I said to myself, well, I could probably hit a few 30 people per meeting, but I could hit a few hundred thousand per week if I go out there and broadcast the message of recovery, share it, recover out loud, tell the good, bad, and ugly of my story and stay consistent. I can help a broader amount of people and some of them AA may not fit because there's a lot of people who's just like I can't get with AA right now. They can't they may be able to later. AA and NA hits people at different stages in their life. For me it was years. I was like, I ain't going no damn AA. Get out of here with that. People was telling me about hey guy. It wasn't until I was <laughs> almost dead until I sat there and I found refuge in the meetings. They said things in the meetings that made all of the little, you know, things in my brain click. It just was like, oh, I get it. It was all written there. So uh, this is what I tell people. If you have mm -hmm. a problem with the 12 steps and stuff, look at the literature. Look at the, 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 the words and the science, the doctor's opinion. Look at what they was talking about. Read it. You, like, you don't, may not want to go to a meeting, but you could go on Amazon and buy a big book and just read. Just look at it. Read some of the things. It was in the reading when I was like, I saw the word allergy. And I said, wait a minute. They're saying that it's a possibility that I could be allergic to this. That's a whole different conversation. I'm not crazy now. It's not yeah. just me, right? Maybe there's another million people. I thought there was a point in my life where I thought I was the only person. I was just uniquely this jammed up, and I was special in this way where I had these. No, you're like another 1.8 billion people who probably have an allergy to alcohol. You can't drink, and you was born this way, and there's nothing wrong with you, and you need to seek help. And you need professional help if you're going to get clean. Same thing with drugs. Those dopamine pathways and my dopamine receptors doesn't allow me to play around with addictive substances. I have an addictive brain. So that's it. It was it was clean. I understood it. So that's why I started yeah. Sober's Dope. I started Sober's Dope to give back. You can find the Sober's Dope podcast on any platform. Google us. We sell clothing through apparel to bring awareness because... We like to have the walking billboard thing. like, And I tell you this much, you wear a sober dope shirt, people are going to look at you all day. Like for some reason, they're going to like, what's that? They're going to like, look. And that's the, so I started wearing it for me. I never, before I even thought about selling it, I just used to make, make them and wear them. And then I was like, people were like, what's that? And I was, it was an invitation for me to tell my story. And then I started the podcast, right? And then it all came full circle. Um, so my thing is to get the message out there. Who's was the clothes first? Yes. Go ahead. What you were saying? Oh, no, you cut out. Oh, no, sorry. You cut out for a second. But I was going to say, you got to get a belly shirt. 
You have to get a Sober's Dope belly shirt. I'm going to order. I'm going to order a Sober's Dope shirt. I didn't see a belly shirt, though. I was looking. Yeah, we had the belly hoodies, the the cut and crop hoodies, but I'll look for a crop belly shirt. I will. I'll hook it up. I'm going to hook it up. I'm going to look for you. Okay. All right. Listen, you you saw, I'm showing my cleavage here. Got to show the belly. I I started the interview saying sex sells. Listen, I'm 51 years old. I work out like a maniac. I'm going to keep showing it as long as I could. And speaking of, yeah, speaking of it also, I know, and then we are going to wrap this up, but I could talk to you forever. I mean, you just, you are just like a chuck full of information. Chuck full. You also are big on the ketogenic diet too. Well, yeah. So I'm ketogenic, plant-based. It all goes hand in hand. We could talk about that all day, but like one of the benefits of creating alcohol is you get, you want to eat as much as you want. That created kind of like a pre-diabetic environment for me about four years into my recovery. And I just didn't Yeah, I heard to- you did a whole podcast on it. I, I, right. I couldn't stop listening to it. Yeah. And I was just like, nah, you know, I, my, I remember my grandma losing her toes and all of that. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with diabetes in my family because we predisposed to it. Um, mainly because what I understood was that in Africa, they did this thing called an African study where it was like, there was a lot of Africans who barely ate meat and barely ate a lot of sugar. And it was no forms of, um, noticeable diabetes, no form of heart disease. Like the study was so groundbreaking that when they did autopsies on all of these people, they realized that it was unheard of in ancient Africa that people would even have heart disease or diabetes or die of these things. So I realized the sad diet, the standard American diet is what generates these heart disease and diabetes and stuff. And the problem is sugar on a molecular level. Sugar is a, a few molecules away from crack cocaine. And it's that addictive. Right. So when I, I was like, OK, I have to be, put sugar in my perspective. And then imagine how I felt that being black, the stereotype of diabetes and blacks and we're prone and predisposed. I was like, that's bullshit. Cause when they did the studies, we never even had it in our DNA profile. It was like unheard of because we didn't eat a lot of meat. We wasn't, we was eating a lot of vegetables and we wasn't eating a lot of processed foods. So I realized just to go back now, look, now I'm not, it's not about a black and white thing. This follow me for a minute. The China study, which they call, this is the famous study. You're going to always hear about anything diabetes related. The China study and the Ghana study, that's what they base all the diabetic information on for everyone. So when mm. when so when you're looking into the ketogenic diet and why they're basing it on the science of the China study, which is where all of this information that I got from my African DNA and because the, they study Chinese and African people. Right. And they said based on their diet, it was unheard of that they was getting these diabetes and stuff like that. So I tell everybody, go back to a natural diet. Make the base of your diet plant-based and try to reduce sugar consumption as much as possible. And the way you do that is by increasing your healthy fats and your fiber, your vegetables, which will create enough um, what they call you will be you will be full or more satiated and less prone to seek energy from your brain through glucose and sugar because that's fast energy, hence fast food. Right. So it's all connected. And I was able to reverse my pre-diabetes. Yeah, we could we could you know what I know we could do. I could do a whole I'm going to invite you back because I could do a whole show on this Um, because I'm so into food diet. That's just that all entails with my with my eating disorder, too. So anyway. uh, All right. One more thing that we didn't cover. And this is. Took death out the mouth for Lucy. Prayed to the this is your new song, right? Lucy's crash, yep. the hoofy poppy was bougie. Went from the side of the Uzi, daddy was loosey. Lincoln Continental with smooth color of rubies. No, no more heading. Cardi with the mall. I image of Pharaoh's deep in the starry skies. Deep in his eyes, he rides through with the army. Resurrected soul with Panthers, black and onyx. Politics with angels and those stuck in the bondage and holes. Stripping their clothes with wolves stuck in the mountains. Consciousness came from the soul. Smite all the demons. Conquered the old spirit of devil. Snipe them and leave them. Got love from the spirit of Uma. Master the lunar. Sacred and blessed. Swam with the sharks. Never the tuna. Poppy That's put hot. the faith in his chest. Hated the Ruger. Killing people Killing never, people felt, never right, felt right. right for the right Cougar. For the old school analog yeah. rap before yeah. Pro, Pro Tools. Nuts put the love into logic and make soul cool. Boom, Boom bap, bap, rap until death. Part with the soul full. Coon rap. Smack him to death. Black in the vocals. Vocal.
Oh, that's love. Thank oh, you. Man, that's I love. love. That, that's new, right? Yeah, that's new. So I dropped three. Oh, of course. I dropped three new singles, um, that one, Off the Grid, and Dear Addicts. But Dear Addicts, we're going to launch that. That's a big campaign. That's a letter that I wrote to all the addicts, and that was me trying to incorporate. Hey, I want to incorporate this with my music with the recovery. So if I have the platform, I might as well use it to shift the message. Um, so that song was about transformation, going from the darkness back into the light and you know, no more Henny, Bacardi, smoke with the Marlies, dip, you know, all of that was just yeah. me transforming, you know? I love it. I, I love, love it. it. So Thank when, you. when is the whole thing going to launch? Did, did, it's, I, it's I, didn't, I didn't, I couldn't find the other song. Is it on Spotify? It's all on is it Spotify. on Spotify? I yeah, couldn't find the Addicts song. It's, um, it's, yeah, when you go on Spotify, it's Dear Addicts, it's under that. So the way they was released, they was all launched at the same time, but they, 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 they released them. So Dear Addicts seemed like it came out before Transformation P, but they was all launched on the same time. So you just got to look under it. I also dropped the album three months ago called Ancestral Drums. So I'm just accelerating the music and really getting it out there because it's really interesting to me. And I want to look, I'll leave it here. Addiction try to take away my passion to create art. And I'm not going to let that happen, even at 41 years old. So I said, you know what? I'm sober. Why am I not doing music? I know I'm older than the average rapper, but so what? I'm still good. I'm not going to let addiction take anything else away from me. And that's why I started doing my music again. Don't let addiction rob you of your joy and creativity. Boom. Pop you can and sober is dope. You heard it from the best. Yeah. And that's a shit, man. Don't stop doing your music, man. Seriously. Thank you. Sober exposure. I'm having you back and we're going to talk Yo, more about the music. Thank you, right, Poppy. Right. Thank you God so bless. much. God bless. God bless you. Thanks for having me. I love you guys. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast. <laughs>